Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. So, welcome back to Rome for this third and final episode on what's happening in Germany. And this episode, we're going to look at biodynamic winemaking and organic winemaking, and just what uh, producers are doing in the vineyard and how that's changed in the last 20 years. So I think in general around the world, there's a lot of quality producers much more aware of what happens in the vineyard and how that affects the style of wine, and they're much more careful and much less likely to use uh, chemicals. What's happening in Germany? Is there a big trend for biodynamic winemaking? I'm not sure whether it's biodynamic, you know, the big trends, but certainly much less intervention in the vineyards, biologic winemaking. So much less spraying against uh, uh, pesticide pests and um, also, yeah, I think generally there there is this approach to kind of be more cautious with how you handle your wines altogether. Um, there is a surprising amount of biodynamic winemakers, and they are successful um, there. But again, it's 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 um, it's more the the overall category of lower intervention in the vineyards that that works very well. It's it's certainly a global trend, but in Germany, it's also a very strong trend. Um, Germany is one of the biggest consumers, really, of biologic. Uh, wines, not necessarily all coming from Germany. Um, Spain is, is a pre- pretty big producer actually of wines um, that haven't been sprayed. We got to keep in mind though that um, Spain has much less rain. <laughs> Germany for a very long time was seeing more rain than sunshine, so uh, spraying was an important part of the, the job. With climate change actually really playing into the cards of German winemaking, um, there's much less spraying necessary nowadays. People are, I think, I mean, the consumers, the consumers are aware. I'm not sure how much they really look at bio versus non-bio in their buying decisions. Uh, a bottle of biologic wine is a euro more expensive or a euro fifty more expensive than a non-bio one. The big chunk of consumers really here are is is price driven, and still it's been a market that has grown a lot in terms of consumption, and with that, of course, with supply as well. So you have the effect that there is a demand. You have the effect that it's not necessary to spray that much anymore, and of course, winemakers who very early on decided, okay, they just don't want to to spoil their vineyards with uh, chemical pesticides and herbicides. They see it actually as working against nature. So you have people who have taken this on very, very early, already in the 80s, and yeah, people who decided, okay, they will not use artificial fertilizers, spraying, and so on. Right, so you've raised a lot of interesting points there. Um, so and one of the questions I was going to ask, is this producer-driven or consumer-driven? And it sounds like it's more producer-driven from what you're saying. It's the producers that decided to do this. But was the demand from the consumer for? No, the dem- but the de- demand is there. Really, mm-hmm. um, I think it's both. Um, it's uh, it's both, and it's also I wouldn't be able to really put it to one side or the other. Um, I think here they, the the consumers see that there is an offer, and in times like these, really, um, where there's a growing awareness of 
yeah, for your for your environment, for pollution and so on, people are actually also considering more the choice the choices that they make when they purchase uh, products. Um, that's one end. And of course, yeah, the uh, winemakers see that and they certainly apply to that. And yeah, as I mentioned, with um, weather being more dry, warmer, it's also easier for them to comply. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about climate change in Germany because it's a very important issue, I think. Before we get to that, who are the big producers who have really led the change to lower intervention and more organic or biodynamic winemaking? Rheingau, Peter Jakob Kühn, for instance, um, for Rheinhessen, Philipp Wittmann, for Pfalz, you have um, Birkin Wolf. These are people who really pushed things forward a lot. I mean, I think all three of them are even biodynamic. So they not only kind of do low intervention, but they actively work um, with biodynamic standards. Is that connected with what we've been talking about in previous episodes, the real emphasis on quality in the last 20 years over high production? I mean, these producers, if you're really working in the vineyard like that, you're looking for quality wine as well. I think um, a lot of conventional winemakers will tell you they can make high quality wines in a conventional way. And that's true, right? Um, you still have Mosul where it's difficult to get um, biologic there because the vineyards are so small and there's so much spraying with helicopters mm. and so on. But um, so you can make very high end wines with in a traditional way. But then talk to biodynamic winemakers and they will tell you this is the only way we can cope with climate change on the long run. So this is you know having green vineyards, having a life in your vineyards um, and soil is that they call alive basically is the only way to cope with dryness with um, the drought that we have we had in the past and that we'll certainly have in the future so um, many winemakers say what well, this is the only way to go this is the only way to kind of preserve nature and with that they produce very good wines too so let's talk about climate change then you keep touching on it um, what is happening in Germany? How is the weather different from year to year compared to what it used to be? It's getting warmer. Very simple. Uh, it's getting warmer and um, we're having more often droughts over here. Um, I talk to winemakers and they will tell me um, the last bad harvest was before they took over from their parents. <laughs> no, I mean... Um, I think I recently read that, you know, the last, really, uh, the last uh, vintage that got spoiled due to bad weather was 1996. And ever since then, there were proper vintages. And so basically since, since that time, every year, and there was a proper um, redness in the vineyards. If you go back in time, if you take the 50s, 60s, 70s and so on, these were times where you would have years where simply the grapes wouldn't run, period. And that's changed, that's certainly changed. And um, with that, there is positive effects, um, of course. I mean, you have uh, riper, riper grapes, you can have more choices actually in the vineyards. And of course, there's the risks. Um, this could be, this is drought, of course, uh, especially in Germany, it's drought. It's um, having not enough water. Um, but then, of course, also like, um, 
is a short-term uh, weather effects, uh, so hail or storms or um, Starkregen, so, um, how do you call that, like extreme rains, um, extreme downpours that will wash off the, the soil from your, uh, from your wind, uh, vineyards, for instance. Um, so yes, uh, very clearly, I mean, people can, you can measure it, in fact, you can measure it. And there's a wine critic, Stuart Piggott, who recently claimed, basically, Germany is not a cool climate winemaking area anymore. It used to be but it's changed. So yes, um, a, lot of, um, a lot of change in, in the last 20 years. And how has that affected um, the styles of wine in Germany? Because I read that, for instance, uh, you know, a cabinet is now being picked at a Spätlaser level of ripeness. And so yeah, it's wine... difficult. See, yeah. Of course, it's, it's become more difficult to make um, the light wines that the cabinets are supposed to be. Um, what I understand, uh, there is quite a number of winemakers who still cook and who can make um, nice and light cabinets also in, in, in hotter years, but it's it's becoming more and more difficult indeed. Um, and to, to another effect, of course, you know, you get heavier red wines. So <laughs> um, international varietals grow quite nice now, quite well, actually, in Southern Germany, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Malos, um, actually um, very nicely ripe in, in Germany. So how can producers um, work in the vineyard to maintain that kind of fresh, delicate style? Is there anything they can do? I mean, most of them harvest earlier, of course. They do harvest much earlier. Honestly, I hear I'm that's a little bit out of Mutama. It's really um, how the, 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 the vintners work in, in the vineyards to improve um, or to keep the quality light. I'm not too sure, but it's, it's certainly um, canopy management at the right moment. It's harvesting earlier, that's for sure. Just to mention one more thing, that one more uh, wine style that is in danger. It's, um, it's for instance, the, um, it's ice wine. This year, um, was the first year that um, there was no ice wine produced in Germany at all. Um, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to make a natural ice wine, so basically not, of not artificially frozen mm -hmm. grapes. And what about Botrytis? Is that something that... So overall, do you think climate change is a good thing for Germany? Um, yes and no, basically. Yes, because it has been doing very well for, for German wines. Um, so most winemakers will tell you, yes, of course, I didn't have a, a bad crop in the last 20, 25 years. Um, but I think many look um, to the future with quite some concern. Because it's over here, it's, it's very um, difficult to irrigate or to work with, um, to counter, for instance, um, dryness in the vineyards. Is irrigation allowed in Germany? Honestly, I don't know. I, I, I thought actually all the time it was not allowed. And then I talked to one winter and he says he can irrigate, the others cannot. Um, honestly, I, I think this is something to kind of um, check again. Uh, I, I understand that, for instance, a younger vineyard, so freshly planted vineyards mm -hmm. can be irrigated. Um, there is some irrigation possible, um, and I understand that some, some do, but the 
The truth is, when you, especially if you're, I, I don't know, if you're in Pfalz, for instance, not close to a river, you, where do you take that water from? And if you're next to the river, actually, if you're next to the river Rhine, you cannot just take water from the river. I'm not sure if you heard about the drought in 20, um, uh, 2018. The river levels were that low that cruises uh, could not go on on the river and barges had to stop uh, navigating. So you wouldn't take the, the water from there neither. So I think the people are concerned indeed. Um, so it's been good for German for a very long time, but uh, winemakers need to think really about how to cope with it in the future. And yes. We talked a little bit about um, what to do about it, um, canopy management, vineyard management, so basically going biodynamic, people will tell you that's the only way to go, um, so that the, the plants can look for themselves actually in the vineyard. Others will look for a new vineyard sites, drive up the hill a bit, or actually go turn towards different angles on the, on the slopes, maybe also orient the, the rows in a different style, in a different way, so that um, sunlight will come in differently and maybe not heat up the vineyards that much. Um, that's a couple of measures I've heard of, um, but I'm not sure to know what extent and how quickly you can put them in place. Right, so it's all about long-term thinking. That's that's where the best, yeah, yeah. That's where the best producers stand out because they're thinking of 20, 30 years time. Just one last question: um, Where do you see German wine going in the next twenty years? We've discussed all these changes. What do you think is going to change in the future? What's going to change in the future? I mean, again, environmental impact is still one of the biggest concerns over here. Um, but I see that um, people are getting more interested actually in local wines, local production. It's going more regional. Um, I think winemakers, for a couple of years, they looked outward a lot uh, at um, you know how California was making their wines in the berry and the use of, of wood and so on. But I think right now there is much more of an inwards concentration. Taking examples somewhere else, but certainly trying to apply a real German touch to it. I feel that the consumers also are getting a bit more interested actually in what's happening all around them. So we've seen, for instance, an increase of sale of local wines during the Corona crisis. So people are actually buying more local nowadays. And um, there was quite a lot of um, initiatives to support your local mm -hmm. winemaker. And I think that's, that's the, the trends that might go on for a while, more consumption uh, on a on a local in a local um, area. I think as pe if people do travel less in the future, then there will be that domestic um, influence that people will be looking towards what, where they actually live rather than traveling around the world. And I think in general, people are already very interested in where a wine comes from, what the story is, and having that connection to the place, and not just yeah. a generic international brand. Okay, so that's been great. Uh, thank you again, Jerome. And hopefully I'll get to see you in Germany at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned in the first episode that you were planning a trip to Germany. So definitely come, you know, swing by as soon yeah. as you can. <laughs> so thank you, Jerome. Really been great to uh, speak to you. Yeah.